This is uh, Jim Fetzer, your host on The Real Deal, continuing research on Fukushima. I have two experts with me today, I'm very pleased to say. One is Christina Consolo, also known as Radchick, and also Lauren Moray from San Francisco, Oakland Bay Area, who's an independent geoscientist. Both of them have done extensive work on Fukushima. Uh, Christina, let me begin with you. You have had a radio show called Nuked Radio, and you have a website, Fukushima Facts. How did you get drawn into research on this catastrophe? Well, I, I noticed early on, uh, after the reactors exploded, we already had uh, symptoms of possible fallout in my area of the country, in southeast Michigan. I had the metallic taste. I noticed a few weeks after that a lot of the pine trees started turning red. And uh, later on that summer, I even noticed mutations in some of the plants and, and young trees that were growing around here. And that's when I really started looking into atmospheric transport and, um, and seeing what I, whatever I could find about past nuclear accidents to try to figure out what was happening with this one because there just was no news about it at all. Had you done any research on, you know, in this area? I mean, was that anything you'd ever studied in school or whatever? Well, Chernobyl happened when I was a senior in high school, and we spent quite a bit of time studying it back then, and I was very intrigued by it. And then I have uh, friends and family that work in the nuclear industry, so it's always been kind of part of my life, and I also was a, a big supporter of it for a while before I really knew the truth of how dangerous these plants were. Well, it looks to me like you've done quite a lot of research on it. Loren, I know you have been noticing some signs of contamination in, along the Pacific Coast and even in uh, Berkeley and in San Francisco. Can you, can you tell us uh, some of those indications that things are not going well? <clears throat> well, uh, I really noticed it um, at Christmas, this past Christmas of uh, 2012, when I was traveling on public transportation and um, also walking up and down the sidewalks, seeing people you don't normally see and babies that don't normally come out um, into the public view. And what I noticed, which was really alarming, is that um, I saw... Uh, many indications of birth defects in babies that were born just before or uh, since the Fukushima disaster on March 11, uh, 2011. And I knew right away because I was seeing Down syndrome babies and toddlers, uh, uh, babies with uh, defective eye defects, birth defects, um, and the, the brain and the eyes develop in the first month, and when uh, an embryo is exposed in that stage, very often the brain and or the eyes are damaged. Uh, I also noticed um, a toddler who'd been born in uh, the month, uh, sometime in late February before Fukushima happened, and she was about almost two years old, uh, riding on a bus, and I, I moved around from the seat I was in to, uh, be able to face her and the, her, um, her babysitter. And I looked at this baby, and the, 
the woman who was taking care of her, an older African-American woman, noticed that, and she said, this baby is a dwarf. I love her, but she will never be taller than she is now. And I said, well, how old is she? When was she born? And she said, late February 2011. So then I knew that um, radioactive iodine had affected the endocrine system, which is the pituitary, thyroid, and um, uh, what's the one, um, adrenal glands, which control growth, organ function, everything in the body. And uh, I realized it it had to be Fukushima uh, radioactive iodine that had damaged her. So uh, that was... That was particularly important to see these birth defects expressed already uh, a year and a half after Fukushima because the babies and the unborn are the most susceptible to damage by the ionizing radiation. And what Dr. Levan said, he did a study during bomb testing in uh, Alberta, Canada and other parts of Canada, but he was... Uh, writing about the effects and researching the effects of the very large hydrogen bomb tests that the Soviets did in the Arctic. And he reported in this landmark paper that damage to an, a developing organism, uh, an organism in the developmental stages, uh, has a, a 10 to 100 um, uh, tend to um, a mi- t- million times greater damaging effects on that organism than uh, after they're they're born or they're in later stages of their lives. So the litmus test for ionizing radiation, of course, is the unborn and the babies. And what we're seeing are increases in infant mortality across the U.S. as well as around the world, decreases in fertility. And then uh, very strange things like uh, I've seen two cases in the last week of men reported with breast cancer. And one man who lived in Massachusetts, he was in his early 40s and an athlete, had breast cancer twice in both of his breasts. So uh, these are just some of the indications. The environment is also contaminated. There have been reports about uh, radiation levels in dried seaweed, or they call it nori in Japan, in the Chiba area, which is between Tokyo and Fukushima, and also in uh, seaweed off of the West Coast. And we'll talk in more detail during the interview, but we wanted to give you um, first an update on uh, the Fukushima Typhoons. This would be from October 15th to the present, and then um, and then uh, compare that to 28 signs we have now that the West Coast is just absolutely getting fried. The just- West Coast of the of the Pacific uh, coastline of of North America, uh, and we'll just talk about biological effects and and uh, the effects on infants. Um, also, um, uh, the environmental effects, and then we'd like to cover uh, this very alarming increase in nuclear power. 
who is getting involved now. It's China taking over the British system. And also uh, the fact that Janet Napolitano, who's head of Homeland Security, has now been hired as president of the University of California, which is the biggest weapon of mass destruction um, uh, producer in the world. And that seems to be on the increase. And no doubt they will be using nuclear weapons, many nuclear weapons, on civilian populations, not only in Iraq and Afghanistan, Lebanon, Gaza, but um, they're going to be using them in, um, in the developed, the superpower countries as well. The first summer, um, in the summer of 2011, um, I had been a, a gardener, an avid gardener, and, and grown my own produce for 17 years. And I was always interested in mutations because that was my um, my area of expertise was actually in uh, in genetics and retinal pathology and clinical research. But I never saw anything in nature, and, and pretty soon I started seeing it happening in things that grew very fast, things that uptake a lot of water, uh, like dandelions and weeds and young trees and, and things of that nature. And then when I went back to the Chernobyl research and I learned about, you know, the, the findings in tree leaves and in, um, in flowers and, in, and then later in animals, um, I started a page on Facebook called Mutation Watch, and I put out a call for images to see what people were noticing in their part of the country. And, um, you know, I, I get emails every day saying, I've been, you know, growing corn for 30 years, and I've never seen anything like this, or I've had these trees on my property my whole life, and they've never developed triple and quadruple seedlings and just all of these changes that are occurring um, are, are the exact same thing that happened after Chernobyl and the same thing that happened after Three Mile Island. And I made the acquaintance of a woman named Mary Osborne, who's known as the mutation lady of Three Mile Island. And when anyone in that area notices something funny growing in their yard, they call her and she comes over and takes a picture of it. And she's collected thousands of images over the years and when you put our images next to each other, it's all the same thing. So, you know, in order for this correlation to be incontrovertible, we need to test these plants, but there's no way to test them because the universities are not going to let you just walk in and use their very expensive equipment. And even to test just one small section of a plant would take hours to do. So um, we're kind of stuck with just collecting images for right now, making those images available to researchers who want to use them in, um, in any of the research that they're doing, and just to keep asking the public for data and sourcing as much of that as we can through social media, and in turn, um, you know, getting the word out with social media as much as possible, too, since all of these agencies and organizations that have been set up to protect us and warn us about 
um, fallout or other contaminants are, are not really doing their job, at least from the evidence that we're seeing. Well, it is stunning, and, and, and the fact that these uh, effects are being experienced clear across the country, I mean, from from San Francisco, Oakland Bay to Michigan, is really stunning all by itself. L- Lorraine, I know this new study includes a map showing where the contamination is the greatest in the West, that the area of greatest concentration appeared to be Chicago, and uh, I wonder what that means. Have you got an interpretation about why Chicago or that area should be, you know, heavy among the many areas in the country that are being so strongly affected? Okay, you're you're referring to the uh, the contamination map from the article Twenty Eight Signs that the West Coast is being fried. Yeah. Okay. Uh, first of all, that map is a combined. Uh, it's a map of combined radiation contamination from different sources. So part of it is um, the uh, the radiation that has been released every day from nuclear power plants across the U.S. Um, so that's why there are more symbols on the um, eastern half of the U.S. Those Many of those are nuclear power plants, which have been in operation since the 60s and 70s. But also, there is contamination from um, the um, military sources, depleted uranium, and so forth on, on military bases and firing ranges and bombing ranges in the U.S., um, which... Uh, are it's that stuff is all over the U.S. Every base is contaminated with it. I think you could say, and uh, of course, then the rainout and fallout. It's the rainout of uh, the military munitions, radiological and and nuclear uh, mini nukes that they've been using in Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, Syria, and other not Syria, um, Lebanon, and other places. And that comes across the ocean, believe it or not, all the way across uh, the Eurasian continent, over the Pacific, and then it's rained out across the United States and Canada. So that's part of the cause of elevated radiation in the U.S. And um, then, of course, Fukushima is on top of that. And I I think that... um, a lot of the radiation, particularly in the western states and the the western slope of the Rocky Mountains, a lot of that is Fukushima. And the very large increase in um, alarming increase in death rates in the U.S., uh, the highest increase is on the west slope of the Rocky Mountains where rain and snow uh, rains out the... the um, the radiation transported in air masses from west to east. Christina, I, 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 do you have that map in front of you as we speak? Because uh, I want to get your take, too, on what, you, what the distribution shows and whether anything strikes you as especially interesting about this. I, I don't have that map. I saw that map. I don't have it right in front of me, but I, I do know from watching the atmospheric transport, and I was doing a fallout forecast for um, the, the first year ac- after the accident 
um, trying to predict where this rainout would occur and then seeing how it corresponded to um, these various Geiger networks that had been set up. And we were able to predict within about 90 to 95 percent of the time where the highest levels would occur. And something that I see that happened um, on a daily basis was higher levels around the Great Lakes region. And part of that is because of all the humidity from the Great Lakes um, binds with these particles, and they occur with uh, with rainout and so forth. And there's in, in Michigan, we have a lot of um, variance in the in the weather and in precipitation levels as it is. Um, being on the east coast of Lake Huron, I know that they get about four times the amount of precipitation on the west coast of Ontario, which is across the lake. So we have this lake effect that occurs, and we also see that with snowfall totals in, um, like, the Grand Rapids region, which is on the western side of the state, that anywhere around these lakes is going to have a, a, a greater uh, potential for fallout because of the amount of humidity and increased precipitation. This is most of the time entirely dependent on where the rain falls and where the snow occurs. And then, um, and then the uh, the Great Lakes watershed is a vast and enormous region with um, rain out and snow out of all this radiation um, flowing into the Great Lakes and increasing the levels there. And, of course, the water evaporates. It washes up on the shorelines. Uh, the radioactive particles are lofted into the air. And we know that the highest cancer rates in studies from England and in the U.S. are along shorelines of lakes, coastlines of uh, geographic areas, and riverbanks. Since we're going to be discussing, just as we are now, not only the map, but also the 28 signs, where I'm very keen on getting Loren and Christina's uh, explanations about why those are so significant. Uh, but, Loren, looking at the map, it seems to me some of the, the heaviest contamination seems to be at locations like, if I'm not mistaken, Portland, Oregon, uh, San Francisco, possibly it's Los Angeles, more inland it looks like Albuquerque, it looks like Denver, it looks like, I don't know if that's Austin, Texas, then there's a real high contamination around what appears to be Orlando. Am I right about those locations? Uh, those are all um, either locations where nuclear power plants, nuclear labs, uh, are located, and I've collected baby teeth and, and done studies with uh, the Radiation and Public Health Project around those regions. In uh, the Seattle, the northwest area, including Portland, the Hanford Nuclear Weapons Lab, which has produced plutonium for decades, has really uh, contaminated the Columbia River with constant releases of radiation that... Um, the fish populations are affected. The uh, 
the salmon in the Columbia River have increasing female populations and decreasing male populations, which is happening globally in the human population due to the um, the hormonal and other effects of ionizing radiation on on glands. And we have uh, much more intersex now. That's where male and female reproductive cells are mixed in the same organism. That shouldn't be happening. And so polar bears in the Arctic where the uh, Russians, the Soviets did nuclear bomb tests, the females look normal and they have cubs with them, but they also have vestigial penises as well as female reproductive organs. There's been a study done at Svalbard in uh, um, in the the region of of the nuclear bomb test by the Soviet Union, but um, it's happening in in the human population and intersex is being reported all over the world in humans. That, but now we know that polar bears in the Arctic region uh, and seals and walruses also. Um, have reported uh, fur loss. They're losing their hair, their fur. Uh, they have open sores. The same thing is being reported in the moose population along the Canadian-U.S. border from the Pacific to the Atlantic. So um, these are this is radiation damage. Radiation exposure causes these things, and it's also happening uh, to flight crews for Alaska Airlines to pilots. Uh, flying through the contaminated air column, the whole sky, the atmosphere is contaminated all the, all the way up into lower orbital space with this Fukushima uh, very dynamic, very mobile uh, plumes and and um, nanoparticles that just spread all over the world. And by 2020, the entire Pacific Ocean will be contaminated by Fukushima radiation. It's just dumbfounding. What, what, what do you make of these sexual aberrations? I mean, uh, is that because sex chromosomes are particularly sensitive to radiation? Uh, is it, it just one more manifestation on the order of the birth defects that you're observing showing up with greater frequency in, in, in public places? I mean, it's all very profoundly disturbing. Well, it's it's because ionizing radiation, and particularly um, depleted uranium or uranium, is a hormone and an estrogen disruptor. There was a very good study done at the University of New Mexico, very, very good study, and um, they exposed uh, pregnant female mice to um, water, drinking water, contaminated uh, with depleted uranium, but at levels that the government says are safe. And it caused birth defects, it caused um, uh, changes and abnormalities in the, uh, the uterus, the lining of the uterus. And, of course, that is, is the main cause of endometriosis in women. It's grown, increased horrendously since bomb testing, particularly around nuclear facilities. So uh, when you change the endri- the you know the messenger molecules in the reproductive system, all kinds of strange things happen. This isn't normal. It shouldn't be happening. And 
men shouldn't have female reproductive cells in them and women shouldn't have male reproductive cells in them. This is all new and it's part of the miracle, ha-ha, of the nuclear age. It's a nightmare. Christina, are you, are you, are you detecting or are there any indications of similar serious sexual abnormalities in Michigan or other areas uh, with which you're acquainted? Not that I've had time to look into. Of course, it's difficult to find this information because it's not shared freely by the yes. public health departments. But, you know, you once you understand the way that the fallout affects populations from studies that have been done, uh, there were some very good studies that were done in the U.K., in the 60s about um, childhood leukemia that was very large in um, in populations where women had had x-rays done during pregnancy and they found that um, the earlier in the pregnancy that a pelvic x-ray was performed, the, the greater likelihood of that baby. Just from one x-ray, that baby had a 50% increase in its chance of, of developing leukemia, kidney cancer or brain cancer, and the number actually got higher the more x-ray exposure that that infant might have had. And um, the, the study that was done, they tried to correlate this too with fallout, and each bomb test that was done during peacetime um, it exposed people to approximately one x-ray or the amount of radiation from one x-ray, but we know just at that low level that it can be extremely damaging um, from studies that were done back in the 60s. One in particular that I'm thinking of it was from the University of Michigan that correlated the effect of radioactive iodine in infants compared to adults, and it was, as Loren had said, 10 to 1,000 times higher for infants than adults, and the exposure is greater um, for inhalation versus external exposure, too. So now that we have this ongoing fallout that's coming out in our rains, getting into our food supply, you might only be getting a little bit here and a little bit there, but this is cumulative. And this is going to be going on the rest of our lives and our children's lives because there's no way to shut off what's going on at that plant. Yeah, we, we have no way to clean up, you know, the, the three melted um, fuel cores that are in the ground and this endless pouring of water. I mean, what this plant has turned into is just a, a radiological, you know, generating machine. And there's no way to turn it off. It's just stunning. I... I... I'm just, you know, blown away that Japan would go the direction of nuclear energy when it had suffered the nuclear bomb attacks at Hiroshima and Nagasaki. I mean, you would have thought there would be a tremendous cultural revulsion against even doing that, and yet they appear to have been sold, you know, a package of how beneficial it would be. Uh, Even Einstein said he thought it was, you know, splitting the atom was a ridiculous way to heat a cup of coffee. I mean to boil water. I mean, I really do think that the nuclear energy industry has abdicated its responsibility. And, of course, we we all know about the terrible problem of nuclear waste, which has never been resolved, and where, Loren, you may have mentioned recently how the situation in Washington is catastrophic because there seems to be all of this uh, nuclear waste that's heading toward an aquifer, 
It may have been Maya Madison in, in an interview we did just this past week who, with whom I was discussing, but all of this is terribly disturbing. Yeah, what I wanted to mention uh, to add to what Christina presented on this, this the, the sexual effects of, of uh, radiate, ionizing radiation is that in September of 2007, the United States Geological Survey, the USGS, published a paper, peer-reviewed, and um, it was a fish study across the entire United States uh, on intersex in fish populations. And what they did was they sampled rivers all over the U.S., and they uh, took the male fish and investigated the reproductive tissues to see uh, how many of the fish, what percentage in each particular population sample um, expressed intersex. And that's where the male and female reproductive cells are mixed in the same organism. And what they reported was every sample, every sample that they collected in the United States had levels of intersex in the male fish population ranging from low levels up to 95% of the males in the sample. Uh, across the entire U.S., there was only one river where the male fish did not express intersex at some level, and that was the Yukon River in Alaska. because it might generate hysteria? I mean, is that the sort of reasoning that may be taking place at the highest levels? Because our government has to be aware of the scientific facts that Loren is relating here. They're simply not sharing them with the public. Oh, sure. And what's been, you know, suggested to me during bomb testing is that, you know, they knew what the explosions would do. What they wanted to find out is what it would do to the downwind population. And if you look, if you read books like Secret Fallout by Dr. Ernest Sternglass, he talks about how um, people in the areas where they were conducting uh, nuclear weapons tests, the, the government would give the, the people free car washes, and they would measure the cars for contamination before the wash and afterward because they wanted to see how successful decontamination would be. You know, we're we're being experimented on. And um, the only thing that's being controlled about this accident is us. Our government's well aware of, of the, the research, and back since the 1920s, we've known that even low levels of radiation greatly disrupts DNA. And they've continued to introduce this into our environment, and whether it is to, to make a sick population that will then, um, you know, the, the health care industry will be able to generate more revenue from or if it's for control reasons. I you know, I don't know as much about that as Loren does from the historical or political perspective. Well but but but, but it's it's just so obvious that you're <laughs> right that we are being used as experimental subjects but without our consent. So this is a 
gross violations of the ethics for experimentation with human subjects, which uh, the government, of course, its own agencies are supposed to be upholding, but in fact the government itself is grossly violating. Well, 85% of the key positions in the U.S. government are held by Skull and Bones men from Yale, and Skull and Bones leads us directly to the London financiers and the Anglo-American Permanent War Crimes Racketeering Syndicate. So you're suggesting that Yale and Skull and Bones are really a conduit for producing intel operatives and corrupt uh, officials uh, for the American government to maintain uh, its course in relation with DHS, Homeland Security, the CIA, and so forth. I, I think that um, there's plenty of evidence that, that, that has been uh you know, out in the public venue that supports that. But I'd like to go back to the bomb testing effects. Now, uh, Christina said, of course, the government knew, and I'd just like to provide some evidence that uh, supports what she's saying. Um, in the, um, the uh, later 2000s, I was testifying in the Nevada legislature and uh, working as a research staff scientist at the Lawrence Livermore Nuclear Weapons Lab, and we were studying the uh, metal canisters and uh, doing pilot studies in New Mexico and, and in Nevada on storing nuclear waste in these, this special metal alloy cans. And I met a woman who was actually a Rothschild, she told me, secretly, but not to tell anyone. And she was very impressed with the work I was doing. So she went to all of the uh, the meetings there in Parump, which is a little tiny um, town near the Nevada test site. And she found out that the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, actually had a secret dairy at the Nevada test site, all through nuclear bomb testing. And they were measuring the radiation in cows, in uh, calves, and in their own workers who shoveled manure and fed the cattle in that dairy. They also had cattle herds, meat-producing herds that they were also testing, and that was classified but she went to town and she actually got the report declassified and gave it to me. Uh, another piece of evidence is that cattle mutilation during bomb testing uh, began to be reported and, and it really turned into a, a very big uh, issue in the U.S. Um, and what uh, an, a radiation uh, activist told me was that he walked into an office one day in the Midwest, another activist office, about this cattle mutilation. And they had a stick pin map where they had put a stick pin for each cattle mutilation reported across the U.S. He said they were all downriver or downwind from nuclear facilities. And the sheriff in one county actually... Um, uh, went up to a black helicopter that had landed at a very tiny airport out in in the the wildlands, the you know the farmland, 
and discovered it was Army personnel with uh, samples of tissue from cattle. They mutilated cattle in that area. And it was the Army taking uh, samples from horses, cattle, killing them, and then throwing them out of the helicopter after they sampled them or, or leaving them on the ground smelling like formaldehyde. And this has been a military operation the whole time to monitor the health effects, the radiation levels. And the samples were always taken in the cattle from the eyeballs that usually has the lowest radiation level in the body from the, um, the rectum and different organs in, in the cattle. It was very systematic. We also know that what happened in the uh, bomb test period is happening now uh, to monitor the Fukushima radiation. Uh, and what they're doing is uh, there's a big effort by the military and the nuclear establishment to manipulate the vital statistics of the U.S. and other countries by secretly aborting, forcing women with defective fetuses to abort them. And then it's reported in the vital statistics to the Centers for Disease Control from each county as volunteer, volunteer, uh, voluntary abortions by these women. And that keeps the, uh, the birth defects and so forth out of the vital statistics uh, at the Centers for Disease Control. And, of course, these statistics are used globally. So they're fudging everything. So these are feti that actually are suffering serious genetic abnormalities, but they're yes. covering it by... And they have special units now set up in the county hospitals where they're sending poor women, Native Americans, African American women, poor people, um, and forcing them to have abortions because... The food streams in the United States into different populations and different socioeconomic groups are also uh, contaminated with radiation. The highest levels are in the poor uh, populations, the poor sector of, of minorities and, and poor people. And uh, the best food, the cleanest food, for instance, you can buy at Whole Foods where they are importing food from the Southern Hemisphere, and they always have been since they, um, since they went into operation and became a corporation and a food provider for the U.S. So food streams are also being poisoned. Well, it's just, I mean, there, are, there are those, of course, who... Who, who surmise that this is actually something that's being allowed to happen in order to uh, contribute to the depopulation of the world. And, you know, it's it, 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 one might think that presumes a rather cynical point of, <coughs> point of view, but the government really doesn't seem to be doing anything that it could do to protect the interests, the, the health and welfare of the of the population, the citizens of the United States in this instance. Well, it's hard to believe. It's really, really surreal. It's Orwellian. It's a, a nightmare. But a very, very interesting book has been published called Political Ponerology. And ponerology is the science. Uh, it's a science on the nature of evil. This particular book is addressing political purposes, political ponerology. And it's by Andrew Lobachevsky. 
who uh, died recently, but he and a group of scientists in Poland wrote this book about the evil politicians uh, during the Soviet era. The book had to be burned by him because he was told that um, the Polish intelligence was coming to his house to, to uh, take it. And he and some of the scientists moved to the Soviet Union, rewrote it, published it. The same thing happened there. He came to the U.S. and he finally published it in his late 80s in uh, the U.S. in about 1985 or 90. But Brzezinski blocked it from being published. It's finally been published. And if people are interested in how things like this can happen to humanity and to to the biosphere and to this planet. It's uh, a very, very interesting book. Um, and, and Loren, on that, on that note, we're going to have to take uh, our break. This is Jim Fetzer, your host on The Real Deal, with my two very special guest experts on Fukushima. Christina Consolo and Loren Moray will be right back. 